Tonight we're going to be looking at Jesus' claim. He said, I am the bread of life. It's a claim to deity. It's a claim to something else as well, connected to that deity. To begin tonight, I'm not actually going to begin in our passage. I know it's a little different. We will get to our passage, I promise. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to do a very quick survey of the Old Testament because Jesus didn't drop in and say, I am the bread of life um, without any context. He didn't just say that and nobody knew what he was talking about. They missed it. But there was a long, long process that led up to the point that Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life, and it is full of meaning, wonderful, glorious meaning. So I want to just take us on a very quick, I have 20 minutes to finish the sermon, so I'm going to take us on a very quick uh, survey of the Old Testament. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. This is God speaking to Adam as part of the curse, and I want us to pay attention to it. It's very short. It says, by, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, there's three specific things that are part of this curse of Adam. Number one, he says, by the sweat of your face, by toil, you will eat until you die. This is the curse. The curse is this, that we will live a life where our only goal will be to survive, and we will fail to fulfill that goal. We will work, we will toil to survive, and we will nonetheless fail to survive. We'll die, and we'll return to the dust. We will toil with the dirt to bring forth wheat to make bread to eat so that we can become the dirt with which we toil. Solomon talks about this. He says, this is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. For what does it profit a man? What is the profit? In other words, if you die, everything else you do doesn't matter. You say, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. Well, if people keep dying, the world ends and no one remembers. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So let's move forward to another time in history, move into the book of Exodus, and we see a people toiling, sweating under Egyptian bondage, under an Egyptian sun, working just enough to get just enough to survive. They are enslaved, they're being killed. They're crying out to God. God hears them, and God sends a response, and he sends his response through a man named Moses. We all know about Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, we read, Then Moses said to God, If I come to this people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, this I am statement has great uh, depth to it. God is claiming transcendence. He's claiming self-existence. He's claiming a place outside of his creation. He is uncreated. He is different. He says, I am. But it's interesting the way he states it. He doesn't state it in those terms. I am outside of this creation. I am, I am more. I am bigger. All of those things are to be interpreted from that statement. But he chooses to say it as a partial statement to Moses. When you come to the people, he said, I am who I am. But when you come to the people, I want you to just tell them, I am sent you. And I believe the reason he uses that language is because he's only giving them part of his name. He's only giving them part. He's emphasizing his power, his transcendence, his glory, his power. And he's like, through my works you will see who I am. And let's move on now then to Jeremiah chapter 31. Now we're getting toward the end the what we would call latter prophets. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31 through 34, we read, This city has aroused my anger. Wait, that's 32, sorry. 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They are seeking after. God is revealing himself piece by piece. But they're wondering, they're searching, they're seeking out. As he reveals himself, what does this mean? It says that the prophets, they, they diligently looked into these things to see what they meant. Now Isaiah chapter 30. Turn back a little bit, but we get a little more perspective from Jeremiah 31. Isaiah 30 verses 18 Again, in verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. What does that sound like? It's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you, listen to this, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, capital T, will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. How does the gospel of John begin? The word was made flesh and we saw him. Why did Jesus come to do? He says, I've come to reveal 
God to my people. And see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now let's go to our Gospel of John, but a little further on. John chapter 17 John chapter 17, um, I believe it's verse 6, verse 6, 17 verse 6, we read, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. What has Jesus done? All this time he spent on earth, what has he done? He said, I've manifested your name. Filled it out. Filled in the blank, as it were. So that they know who you are. Remember what he tells Philip. Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And we had not completely got that sight of God. It was always the back parts until we saw Jesus' face. Then we saw the Father for the first time, complete in his glory. It says he was full of grace and truth, telling us of the Father. So with that, let's go to our passage. And I would encourage you, um, Go, go ahead when the, we're done with this sermon. Go to the end of the book of John. Read through that because there are a lot of themes that are brought up in Jesus in our passage that he unfolds inside his high priestly prayer, that time when he spends with his disciples talking in intimacy with them um, after Judas has departed. And he unfolds a lot of these ideas that are going to be brought up uh, in John chapter 6. And one of the biggest ideas that he's going to unfold is this idea of eating and drinking of him. And how we are, he is in us. And we are in him and he is in the Father. Those types of things. So he's unfolding, he's he's given us a more complete view there. And I don't have time to go through all of that today. We're just going to have to give a quick overview. So it's it's John chapter 6, beginning verse 25. And we're going to be reading a rather large portion, and with the time I have, I'm just going to be giving you basically a running commentary of this, and then we'll make an application. John chapter 6, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, Jesus fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He went in a boat. He got to the other side. People see he's gone. They run around the lake after him. And meet him. So this is where we find this situation. Truly, truly, he says to these people who come seeking him, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you, you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work, labor, toil, sweat for the bread that perishes. And now this is, we would think bread that perishes so like bread that goes moldy. 
But I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying, and we'll see that as he unfolds what he's saying. He goes on to say, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So the idea of perish here isn't only that the bread perishes, but that those who eat the bread perish. Because when you have the bread that is unto eternal life, then you don't perish. He said, and listen to this, which the Son of Man will give you. What's the difference here? I have to work for the bread that perishes, and eating it, I perish. And I'm given the bread that is unto eternal life. I don't have to work for it. It's given to me. Now, it sounds as if Jesus is saying that you have to work for it. He says, don't labor for this bread, rather for this bread. So they kind of think through that, and they think that through, and they say, well, uh, so then what do we need to be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus' answer to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is it. You want to know the labor, the work, the toil. You keep asking, what must I do to have eternal life? And I'm telling you, this is the work you have to do. Believe on the one he sent, the one who's revealing my name to you. Believe him. Believe that God is for you. So much so that he sent his only son to reveal me to you. The great I am sent his son to fill in what we were missing about our knowledge of God. And Jesus says, I've manifested that name to the people who you have given me. So when Jesus is talking about this, think about this. He's revealing to us the heart of the Father. He's revealing to us the nature of, of God. And it, those who are blind will never see it. Ever, now, or for all of eternity. If they don't see it, they're never going to see this. So they said to them, Oh, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they? They're still fixated. Hey, you want to prove to us, you want us to believe in you. Hey, where's the bread? Now listen, Jesus looked at these people when he fed the 5,000 and it said he looked and he saw them and he saw them as, as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. It's these same people, they're here and they're being like we are, fixated on the stuff that's killing us, fixated on remaining inside the curse system, unable to look up, out, to where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father on high. Moving forward. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you that bread. You're wrong. That wasn't Moses. That was the father. But, you know, he doesn't go on to say, but no, it was the father that gave you that bread. No, he skips that. Because it's not important. Because the symbol has been realized in Christ Jesus. So he just says, the father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world 
What is it? We are cursed to die. Jesus came that we might live and live with abundance. That means with meaning, with purpose. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. I want you to hear something. Remember that Jesus says he saw these people as sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them, on those multitudes. His voice here isn't like, oh, well, too bad. I knew it. You're not going to believe. But rather, I hear in his voice a pleading. I've said you wouldn't believe. You're revealing the fact that you're not going to believe. And you're going to die. It says, all the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, even if now they are dust, even like the curse said they would be dust, even though they are molecules in the ground, I'm guaranteeing by my power I will raise every last one of them up because that's what my Father sent me to do. I will raise them up at the last day. I am the anti-curse. I am the opposite. I am the reverser. I'm going to undo all of your wrong. So the Jews grumbled about him saying, and said that the bread came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who's the father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? They're saying, what? The I am is in heaven. We know this man, man's mom and dad. How is he saying he came down from heaven? He's just a man. And we go back to the beginning of John. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The very thing they're pointing out as a negative on Jesus Christ is the most glorious thing. is standing in front of them. They can't see it. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Remember what he said. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen him. Who have we seen? The one who has seen the Father and who can rightly present him to us. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And he goes on. The Jews disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What are they saying? That all that is of the flesh is flesh. You think it in fleshly terms. You're not getting it. Yet a whole Old Testament has been talking about me, describing me, telling you I was coming, and now I'm here and you can't see. Truly, truly, he says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Accept the free gift, eat of Christ, live forever. Reject the free gift, labor and toil, eat the bread of affliction, die forever. That's the two choices. That is what we are given. So let me close with these thoughts. What is the rest of the I am given to Moses? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Who the transcendent God condescends to be the light of the world. I am, says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the almighty transcendent God. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of these things are interconnected with us He's saying, I am this to you. I am not just separate. I am a God to you. I am a good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life for you. I am the vine. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who is dead and is now alive. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, and all who come to me... I will in no wise cast out. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. Rest from what? That labor, that toil that leads to death. Seeking and striving after a righteousness, which is no righteousness at all, and leads to death. If you're weary and heavy laden with this, come to me, eat of me, and live, and you will find rest to your souls. Jesus says, the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And we come to the Lord's Supper, and he breaks it, and he gives it to us, and says, take and eat. 
all of you, for this is my body. This is my body, given for you. Whose body? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh. Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, in flesh, dying in our place, giving himself, and saying, I, Emmanuel, am your sustenance and your life. Eat of me and live. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to break up into groups to pray like we usually do in the evening. Um, but I figured this was a good opportunity as well to um, maybe put into practice a little bit of the sermon from this morning, at least from the elders' perspective for you. Jeff had commented on praying for the elders and asking us what type of prayer requests we have. And so I thought I'd write down some general requests for the elders, and you can write this down yourself and pray for, pray for us. Um, so we know as elders, and we know from the scriptures that God has given us a great task in his kingdom as a outpost, as Jeff talked about and even as an embassy for the kingdom and that there is spiritual warfare that takes place. We can feel that. We can experience that in all sorts and different ways. Um, and I think our first request um, that might, well, hopefully would be obvious, but is our godliness, our, our pursuit of the Lord and that we truly would be godly, spiritual, um, depending on the spirit. Secondly, you know, with our, our godliness and growth in godliness would be our priorities and how we prioritize things, family, church, life in general, uh, time in the word and time in prayer, that we're growing in these disciplines and we are uh, faithful to what God has called us to do. And while even though there can be seasons where certain things are taking precedent over others by necessity, that God would continue to remind us that, you know, if things are a little out of order for a season, that it goes back into order um, as it ought to be, as God called us to. So our godliness, priorities, wisdom in discerning Christ's shepherding of this church, um, it's not simply that we as elders are saying, mm, we think this would be a good idea. All right, Jesus, please put your stamp of approval on that. Um, but that we really are trying to discern how is God working in our midst? How, uh, how do we see people growing and the new people coming in or whatever it may be that he is challenging us and encouraging us in shepherding? So we need wisdom in discerning Christ's shepherding of us. Um, and I would also then, uh, another one is love, love for and humility towards the people of the church. Um, I think we would all say that we love our church family. We love you. Um, there can be moments, though, of temptation where we don't love you. <laughs> or one of you, or a few of you. It does, you know, whatever it might be. You understand what I'm, what I'm saying. 
And there's also times where we, where we could be tempted to be arrogant. Um, Paul says in Galatians 6, to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness um, and take heed to yourselves lest you too be tempted. We never want to have the demeanor and attitude that we're above this and that, oh, I would never do that. But that can happen, and that has happened in other people. Um, and we pray that that would not happen with us, that there would always be a love for and a humility um, towards our church family. And that leads into praying for protection from sinful bondages that could, that could come into our lives, that God would protect us and grace us with greater zeal against sin, uh, that God would protect Uh, the elders or any one of the elders from apostatizing, that we would be faithful to him and to his word. Another one would be, uh, I would ask for prayer for uh, for us, is that we would have continued transparency and increase in transparency amongst the elder team. I'm so grateful for men that I can be open with and ask for prayer for, but I pray that that would always be the case. You know, accountability is only as good as our honesty. (laughs) Um, so we pray that we would be honest with each other, where we're at, how we can be praying for each other. Um, and then I would say uh, two other pieces. Pray that God would grant us more elders, um, that God would raise up men who have a desire for this and that we can support each other in the midst of this. Because I think what we've learned even within this last year is that especially among uh, Well, as the church is growing and the needs are increasing, we can't just continue to put on more weight um, onto our plates. And so we do need, I believe, we do need more elders. And so we're asking for prayer for that. And um, then finally, um, I would say prayer for our health. I have felt in certain ways that that is, I don't know, uh, I don't know how else to word it than, than uh, um, saying that, you know, potentially one of the ways that uh, the enemy attacks is through germ warfare. So, um, and that a lot of us as a church family and then also us as elders um, have various sicknesses and ailments and problems health-wise. Um, and and uh, so I think of Third John 1 that says that he prays that, all is going well with them, and that they may, may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And he's not just saying that you would be in good health, but he says, as it goes well with your soul. So as long as that good health leads to the goodness of your soul, that's good. But he prays for that. And uh, so we're not just saying pray that we would be in good health, but, but we're saying that we would still be able to grow and flourish and even focus on the task that the Lord has given to us. And if God refuses to allow us to be in good health, that we would still be able to focus on the task that God has given to us. Because uh, constant or chronic or whatever types of issues can distract and distract from the mission that Christ has given to us. So pray for us in these ways. I know we would greatly appreciate that. And also, Jeff had mentioned something about just elders' meetings and praying for elders' meetings. Here's something that um, I think many of you know, maybe you don't know, but we, uh, we have consistent two elders' meetings a month. 
Uh, one of our elders' meetings focuses on, on talking about the people and the needs of the people in particular, and the other meeting focuses on uh, more planning and structure of the church ministry. But uh, one meeting is the second Monday night of the month, and the other one is the fourth Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning. Now, if you, if you want to get up at 5.30 in the morning and pray for us during that, that's great. But you know what? God's outside of time, so whenever you want to pray. But this is just something if you want to say, hey, how can I remember to be praying for them? Um, that's something you can mark in your phone or something. Pray for the elders. It's the second Monday um, or it's the fourth Tuesday. So we would greatly appreciate that. Thank you for your love and care for us. And we pray that we would always continually be a people pursuing Jesus together, um, loving God edifying one another and evangelizing the world. So uh, with that, let's break up into groups to pray, and uh, then I will close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your kindnesses to us in Christ, and even to be able to hear the word preached with clarity and even simplicity and straightforwardness that Jesus is the anti-curse. Oh, Lord, I pray that today, tomorrow, the weeks, months, and years to come, that we would continuously feast on Christ. Thank you. Thank you for enabling and empowering us to do your will, which is to believe on him. And so we pray day by day we would walk by faith and love you more and worship our Savior, who is I am. And so it is in his name we pray. Amen.